Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Today's podcast features Jamie's full interview with Ed Hoffman from Padilla, a communications agency with PR Roots. With 25 years of experience in food and beverage marketing under his belt, Ed gives us fresh insight into the world of food service and what's trending in 2019. So we'll first start off with, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and role at Padilla. Sure. So I've spent nearly my 25 year career working in food marketing. I've worked across all channels of the industry. Uh, Food service is actually where I began my career uh, in market research at Technomic in Chicago. But I've also spent quite a bit of time and continue to this day on the consumer and kind of the retail side of of the business, as well as the ingredient piece of it. So, you know, having kind of that sort of 360 perspective about really how consumers eat that's really what it's about is how do they eat, whether it be choosing a packaged food in retail, whether it be choosing, you know, a healthy breakfast in the morning on the way to work at their favorite fast casual place or what they're going to do for dinner. Am I going to cook at home? Am I going to speed scratch at home? Am I going to pick up something, you know, at retail food service or go out to eat? So it's really all about the consumer. So having kind of this perspective about how they eat throughout their day is something that, you know, I've really spent my career intentionally focusing on, you know, and not trying to stay, you know, necessarily too siloed per se. So as part of that, how that translates into the work then that I do currently today, uh, Padilla is a full service integrated marketing firm and I oversee the food and beverage sector. So, and really what that means or kind of what we do with our clients is it's pretty simple. You know, we help our clients build, grow and protect their brands. And no matter which part of the industry that you're in, you know, that is kind of how we work with our clients, so, um, whether they be a commodity board or whether they be a food manufacturer. It's really helping them build their brand, grow their brand, you know, with their target audiences, whether it be restaurant chefs or R&D people, uh, such mm-hmm. as research chefs, and then, of course, protect them. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes a lot of emphasis is put on the build and grow part, but the protect piece, you know, is equally as important. whether it's a proactive reputation management program or whether it's crisis preparedness, Um, you know, so in that is a very real, real, uh, you know, uh, reality, I guess it's a real, real reality in, um, you know, in our, in our business. And, you know, and oftentimes it kind of, it happens more in the moment rather than kind of thinking through that. So we just help our clients, you know, think through, you know, those different, different aspects of their, of their journey. How does marketing fresh produce differ from marketing other products? I think when it comes to fresh produce, marketing, uh, well, and you're just talking in general about produce, correct? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily branded produce. Exactly. Yeah. And you can talk about the difference between that. And are you talking about in food service or just in food service? In food service. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, well, I don't think, I mean, to be honest, I don't think that, um, you know, from a consumer standpoint, anyway, uh, you know, if I'm the restaurant operator, um, and I'm, um, if I'm the restaurant operator to consumer, I don't think you see uh, any of that. I don't, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm kind of struggling to think of any sort of branded produce that might be promoted to, um, directly to consumers, maybe yeah. with the exception of more independent restaurants. 
that, you know, either are sourcing directly from a farm and, you know, everyone has seen that on their menus where it's listing this farm that you have know nothing about, but because it lists the farm on there, it kind of brings some sort of credibility or cachet, yeah. <laughs> even though you have yeah. no idea where the farm is. So that may be, you could argue, as a form of branding. Mm-hmm. I do think that there's a much stronger story from the produce supplier standpoint. And no matter where you are in that supply chain, if you are the grower that's selling directly to restaurants or you are, um, you know, maybe like a cooperative, you know, or, you know, that is sourcing produce from lots of different farms and then selling it under a brand, um, then I think there's a lot more of a story. And I think there's, it's very similar to, I think there's a lot of similarities or a lot of parallels to, you know, marketing any branded product. I mean, the restaurant operator and whether that's a major restaurant chain or whether that is even an independent is going to want to know where it's getting their food. Right. They're going to want to know information about the farm. They're going to want to know maybe not necessarily proximity per se, but they want to understand kind of where they're getting their product from. No different than Mm -hmm. I think understanding, you know, understanding the quality and the integrity and the reputation of any sort of brand you source from. So I think there's a lot of parallels there. I think you, you, you could even argue there may be even greater scrutiny when you talk about sourcing directly from, you know, agriculture you know, versus, you know, a processed food company that may be less about kind of what's happening at the plant or facility. You're kind of, there's more, I think there's more trust given to a brand with a good reputation that everything that's happening at a plant or a facility is, is generally run well. And there's government oversight, you know, from, you know, from a health standpoint, food safety standpoint. But I think maybe when it comes to farms and agriculture, there's, you know, to some extent, you could argue there's even more scrutiny. Um, they may yeah. want to go to the fields um, and really, you know, and, and see kind of where product is drawn. So yeah. in that aspect, lots of parallels, I think, um, in how you market. You may not even yeah. necessarily have to have a brand, but you certainly have a company. And what does that company stand for? Yeah. So along the same lines. So it, it looks like you work with produce commissions, right? It, it, am I? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yes, so... we work with, we do quite a bit with. Um, growers and farmers, you know, in produce or in just kind of broader, um, you know, agriculture. So have you seen, so, so like, for example, avocados from Mexico, I mean that there, that, I see that commercial all of the time. Do you see that impacting the food service industry in a positive way? And, and why do you think that helps these produce commission boards? Sure. Uh, so without without getting you know specific about any you know type of commodity board or trade group, I think one of the real advantages of a commodity board in their role in promoting product, because that's really what a lot of commodity boards are tasked with, you know, is the promotion of you know an industry um, or a category, if you will, is that you know in some respects you can in some respects you know commodity boards don't actually sell anything they represent growers they represent farmers yeah. but the board itself the organization itself doesn't actually sell a product their job is to drive demand their job is to generate interest um and if you are not representing any one particular brand per se uh, you know, you don't really have kind of like a horse in the race, so to speak. So, so let me give, you know, kind of giving you an example. We work with the U.S. High Bush Blueberry Council. Our role is to really build demand for blueberries. Um, you know, we're not focused on any one particular brand. 
Um, they certainly are involved. They certainly make up part of the membership along with growers, but our job is to really drive demand for blueberries. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I kind of, I, I joke kind of, you know, with our friends that, you know, I don't care, you know, I don't care what brand of blueberries you eat. Just, you know, just don't eat raspberries, which of course <laughs> I'm kidding because yeah. <laughs> I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, you know, that's, that's a very simplistic way of, you know, I think sometimes kind of explaining to people who don't work in, you know, the, the industry, what exactly the role is. So our job is to inspire menu ideas, to educate about health benefits, um, is to share information and research about the consumer demand, you know, and interest in their product. So mm -hmm. it, it's sort of, it's a little freeing to not necessarily be so focused on the sales aspect of it, but more about driving interest in the product so consumers do want it and they do demand it um you know when they go into you know into restaurants you know they make a conscious choice to you know add those blueberries to you know their salad or um you know or maybe add that or look at them you know different menu items that have them yeah yeah okay so what current food trends are you seeing for 2019 so I kind of we kind of look at food trends. I mean, you can always look at menu, and there's a lot of people that have, you know, far more informed perspective about menus because they study them. Um, you know, Nancy Cruz is a fabulous resource for that in particular. Um, uh, you know, or or Maeve Webster. You know, they are really kind of analyze what menu trends are. I think when we look at food service trends and what's kind of driving the industry and what's kind of informing the industry, again, kind of going back to you know how I spent my career and look really looking at you know the consumers is what's driving the consumer and what's driving the consumer that's affecting the food service industry and then how is the food service industry reacting would that be kind of a fair way to answer your question yes yes okay. yes yes okay yeah so i think i think when we look at uh, you know we look at what's driving the food service industry and what we really pay attention to is how consumers are eating and today i think you know i think today um you know we really we kind of see kind of four different ways that consumers are really, you know, when it comes to mealtime, you know, what are they trying to solve for? You know, it's like, what are they trying to solve for? Or what are they trying to achieve? You have the consumers that are really just trying to get everyone fed at mealtime. Um, you have those that are, you know, really focused and strict about health and wellness. Um, you have others that are trying to please like lots of different palates. Um, you, you know, whether that be a group, whether that be the family or whether that be, you know, you're organizing a dinner among friends and those that are really looking for social connections um, or those that purely just enjoy food. So if you have these different ways that people are approaching mealtime um, and, you know, these trends that are driving mealtime decisions, then then how does food service uh, address that? You know, how does yeah. food service kind of pay off on that? So, for example, let's kind of use a pleasing all palates for, you know, um, as an example, you yeah. know, lots of different tastes, lots of different preferences. If you're trying to make a decision about mealtime and trying to please all these different, you know, all these different palates, then I need to be able to choose a food service operation that it can really give me that variety and that choice. This is one of the reasons why you see such a resurgence of more sophisticated food service at retail. I read somewhere recently that it's kind of like the third fastest growing segment um, in the food service industry. One of the reasons for that is are all the options and choice. If you walk into, you know, a Wegmans, of course, which is, you know, it's kind of the the crown, you know, the crown jewel, if you will, um, or the or mm -hmm. kind of the gold standard. But you look at 
a lot of mainstream the mainstream grocers, you know, like the Kroger's and Safeways, their food choices at food service have gotten a lot more sophisticated. You know, the quality and the integrity of the food has gotten better. That's yeah. kind of one example. You know, if you're if you're more of making decisions at mealtime about, you know, just getting the family fed and, you know, you, you know, it's a little bit maybe more, uh, you know, utilitarian. There's certainly the continued, you know, the, the continued evolution of value meals um, at limited service restaurants. But you also look at the resurgence um, of delivery options. And I don't mean calling the restaurant and getting delivery. I'm talking about Uber Eats. I'm talking about Postmates that for the, really the first time has blown wide open the meal options for families or for any, I shouldn't say just families, but the meal options for people to purchase food from restaurants, from all different kinds of restaurants that they normally didn't really have access to. Yeah. You know, that has really given, that has really given people. So if you're trying to just get the family fed, again, I now have a lot more options than maybe just a handful of quick service or fast casual restaurants that I see on my way home. I can be figuring this out on my way home. I have all these different kinds of restaurants that can appeal to family. And maybe I order from five different ones. I mean, that seems maybe like a real stretch that somebody <laughs> can order from five different restaurants versus just going choosing one. But, you know, choosing those restaurants that have maybe a lot more options for the family, um, yeah. you know, is, is another way the food service industry has kind of reacted. And maybe in not as we were expecting, you know, from an operator standpoint, yeah. but from a service standpoint, that is now making making those connections from operators, you know, you know, to the consumer. Okay, so I'm finding Ed, you do so much. Like your job is such an umbrella of things. <laughs> I was having a difficult time narrowing down questions. <laughs> Talk about any new developments that you're seeing in the food service industry. I think that um, new developments in the industry, and, and this is, again, really from kind of a, a personal observation standpoint, um, I think part of it's where my interests lie. And I think part of it is, you know, kind of kind of seeing what's happening in the broader food landscape and seeing how it is infiltrating its way to food service. And this has a lot to do with data and understanding customer data and deriving insights from customer data to inform business decision. So what I mean by that is maybe it's easier to explain what it doesn't mean, what I don't mean. What I don't mean yeah. is restaurant operators developing menu concepts that they then put into research with consumers to test, whether it be in focus groups or other types of, you know, other types of field work um, to determine if that menu item is going to go on the menu or not. Um, that is not what I'm talking about from data. What I'm, what I'm talking about is looking at consumer behavioral and attitudinal data to derive insights about around unmet needs and then fueling menu in innovation to mm -hmm. fill those unmet needs. So and we see a lot of this happening kind of, you know, in the broader food industry, in the broader food industry when it comes to a marketing standpoint, but it's also happening from a product development standpoint. And why couldn't it be happening more with a menu development standpoint? Mm -hmm. So, you know, there, there's, there's greater certainty, you could argue, about what would be developed if you are trying to fill unmet needs. So there's certainly the customer data aspect and how restaurant operators who have the means and, you know, the resources to use data to drive their menu in innovation. I think that's mm -hmm. really interesting. And I think where that kind of begins to intersect with another kind of popular buzzword, at least last year, I felt like it was pretty popular. Um, and now we're seeing more of it pop up 
in you know in the media this year and seeing restaurant operators operators and even retailers making investments in it is blockchain and blockchain technology mm. i'm not going to pretend that i'm an expert in blockchain technology yeah. <laughs> um at all but what i find fascinating about it is how i'm is how we're beginning to see this used more and more in the food industry as it relates to traceability and food safety concerns, but also how operators can begin to use it to better control their inventory, to better control um, the types of foods that are the types of foods that consumers are going to want, whether that be you know, whether that be for, you know, the menu throughout the year or maybe something it's more seasonally. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if you're not familiar with this, it's worth it's worth looking it up or worth, you know, going online and doing a little bit of research is around what Sweet Greens is doing. They have made a significant yeah. investment in blockchain technology. Um, and certainly there's the food safety and traceability aspect of it, but it has more to do with how they will drive, how it will drive their business um, and mm-hmm. the types, you know, the types of produce that will be it will make available throughout the year and be able to determine how much of that product they're going to actually need. I, I just find it fascinating that the business in food service is becoming more sophisticated in those ways. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's becoming more sophisticated just from not only managing your supply chain, but also how that intersects with what consumers want and how that informs menu innovation. So that may be kind of much further out than, than what we're going to see from operators, you know, coming this year. But, you know, to see a company make that kind of investment and to, you know, that other companies are watching and other, other organizations are watching. Um, yeah, to see yeah. what they might be able to do with this technology that is really, you know, something that is 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 new for food service, um, and it and it just kind of goes hand in hand with how we see more of kind of just the digitization of the supply chain. Thank you, Ed, for taking time to speak with Colorful Plates and giving us a look inside the world of food service. Thank you guys for listening. We hope you all have an awesome rest of your week. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. And as always, stay fresh. Bye.